Welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most. Because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady. PSYOP, it was the the other side of the coin to Russiagate. Russiagate gave liberals brainworms. The other side became deactivated and told to trust the plan and fucking, you know, follow the white rabbit and let's wait for that other shoe to drop. The primary function of the media is to manufacture confusion, put forth counter-reinforcement propaganda from every single angle that eventually all drives people back into supporting one half of the state. And as long as you can support one half of the state, you can be manipulated into voting inside of that system. Let's make these fucks a household thing. You know, huge lane for that. Uh, and so it's incumbent, I think, even if you don't agree with 100% of what everybody says all the time, it, it's incumbent on us to stand as a community of content creators to say, listen, we're not going to give you this. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Today on the show, we got Steve from the Slow News Day podcast. Steve, how are you, man? I'm doing pretty good. I, I had a very long drive back up from Los Angeles yesterday. I drove my producer back home to Stockton and turned around and came back down towards the Santa Cruz Mountains. It was in the truck way too long, but seemed to... Uh, <laughs> seem to have can't you know come back around a little bit thank you coffee 
Okay. Very cool. Glad to hear that. Yeah, man. And maybe I spoke too soon. Would you call your show a podcast? I mean, you are on YouTube. It seems more of a show than a, a podcast. I mean, you're very, it's very visual. Every time I see you, you have a new background behind you, it's great. And you're keeping the, the fight for Julian Assange alive. I mean, I, I definitely think that in this podcasting space, we have maybe somebody does like an episode about him here or there, but every time you're on a show, man, you know, you're reminding people that there is still someone out there who's essentially being incarcerated for, you know, spitting the truth. So maybe before we get into like the questions, maybe tell us a little bit about that and like how you got behind Julian Assange. And, and I know you're clearly an activist. Tell us a little bit about what you do for, uh, for Julian. So what, 93, 94 weeks ago now, I started co-hosting the Free Assange Vigil series, which we've done every week in a row since, where, where we interview people who are independent journalists who have been covering WikiLeaks and, and the Assange case, or people connected to the case, or WikiLeaks, or actual whistleblowers, former government officials who have retired and then been like, yeah, I got, I got to talk about some shit and, and we got to figure some shit, stuff like that. And when we started doing that, like I'd, I'd been aware of and had, you know, protested on behalf of a few times, Julian Assange's arbitrary detention in the Ecuadorian embassy. I was involved with Occupy back in the day, like very, you know, aware of and, and conscious of what was being done, what still is being done to Julian Assange. But when we started doing the online vigils in the summer of 2019, we had titled the thing Action for Assange, the, the little or the organization that we had started. And we went a couple of months with only doing like one action and we were like, well, shit, you know, we need to really, you know, have boots on the ground. We need to get this up and going. We need to do something. Yeah. At the national level. So in 2020, at the beginning of Julian's extradition hearing in the UK, we went to, we went to DC and started protesting there. We've been now like five times over the last 14 months this past week was the two-year anniversary this past Sunday, two years since Julian Assange had been trafficked out of the embassy and into Belmarsh prison where he still is, even though he's been, he was denied, his extradition was denied. So he's waiting for appeal, but then his bail was also denied. So he's still in what, what they warmingly refer to as the Guantanamo Bay of the United Kingdom. 23 and a half hours a day on lockdown. All of this stems from the 2010 releases of the Iraq and Afghan war logs, collateral murder, cable gate, and the Gitmo files. So he he's being charged for publications that go back 10 years. And, and here's the thing. It, it's not even really about Julian Assange, which is kind of weird to say. But as, as horrendous as it is that any journalist is locked up as a political prisoner is being tortured for their journalism, what, what's more severe, and this is why I do it, uh, and this is why I'm so vocal about it, is that the U.S. is seeking international jurisdiction over the press. Julian Assange is Australian. He's not American. You know, his, his publication is registered in Iceland. 
he was living in England. Like, they, you know, they, he's never set foot in the U.S. Not not once is like has it, has his feet ever touched the ground here. So this is unprecedented. Everything about it, everything about it is on the U.S. has never gone after a publishing outlet under the Espionage Act. Never gone after a journalist under the F- Espionage Act. Certainly not a foreign one. And the way that the charges are written. And what he's been charged under, 17 counts under the Espionage Act and an additional count under the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act of 1984, which was written after Congress watched War Games, the Matthew fucking Broderick movie, and got scared. I'm not kidding. Actual congressional legislation that determines how people are supposed to behave on the Internet in perpetuity because Congress got scared watching a movie. And the charge there... The, that he has with the CFAA criminalizes protecting your source as a journalist. That kills investigative journalism globally. If an authoritarian country sees that the United States successfully criminalized source protection, floodgates are open. It's open season on journalism. And in fact, since Julian Assange has been in Belmarsh, Physical attacks on journalists worldwide have increased exponentially. More journalists are getting locked up. Western journalists are being targeted like fucking crazy. And and so this is why we do it, because the future of press freedom hinges on it. The future of activism, Mark, relies on our ability to communicate our message to people who don't already agree with it on as many platforms as we can. If we don't have the ability to talk to investigative journalists. We don't have the ability to talk to reporters, period. You know, or certainly the things that we're advocating for aren't going to jive with the official narrative. We're punching all the way up at at the entire Five Eyes global intelligence sharing apparatus. Like the, the, you know, like I'm one dude in fucking Santa Cruz County and, and like, it's you know it gets hectic so so th- it's it's why we do it you can't you can't be an activist if you can't communicate your message you can't be an informed citizen if you don't have access to unspun primary source documents you can't claim that you have a free press when it's locked up 23 and a half hours a day in Belmarsh prison yeah these are essential you know qualities of a free nation of free people i think you know our constitution is it the freedom of press that's there for a reason right and we're seeing our constitution be you know stripped away more and more and i'm not really one of these you know second amendment constitution guys but i do believe in the second amendment but i believe that it's a right that's worth fighting for but even more than that freedom of speech and freedom of press are absolutely essential so i wonder you know what where do you think podcasting fits into this do you think journalists should create podcasts like what what do you think how how is this facing podcasting this problem of of government shutdown of information i mean i'm 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 really glad you asked and and to kind of just get to the second part of your first question this show's pretty much video my show's been pretty much all video i do one show that's audio only and that's anonymous bites back with uh, a couple of the OG Anons who are camera shy for a reason. And uh, and so that one's audio only. But it, 
I encourage anyone with a voice who does a podcast or who does a, a show on, on YouTube or other video platforms to cover this for the sole reason that if you're in this and you're covering, you know, geopolitics or national security or conspiracies or like anything that has to do with how the powerful move and operate and work and how it affects us in our daily lives. If that's your jam, this case impacts you because no matter what you talk about, it's going to rub up against the official narratives. And it, if we're not standing as a community of content creators for not just like Yes, they, the life of an innocent human being who's been arbitrarily detained physically and psychologically tortured, and, you know, for publishing. Then we kind of fucking, you know, we kind of fucking deserve what happens. Like, this is an opportunity, and this is what we tell people every single day that we're on camera doing this thing or in the streets doing this thing or in line at the fucking grocery store. This is a post-partisan issue. There's no politics in this. We don't get to talk about politics until we've got access to all of the information. You don't really get that claim to have an informed opinion unless you can see primary sources about how your government operates, how corporations operate. If you're relying 100% of the time on a pundit or a you know, broadcaster or anything, you're you're getting their opinion you're getting somebody's spin you know and I, there's people who do a really good job of being as impartial as possible but there's still a perspective that they're approaching it from and that perspective is going to come out in the content you know and, and you can tell by the types of audiences that go to different shows based on what their like ideology whether it be political or spiritual or sports is you know, the, there's there's an angle for the content. So we, it's, man, it's vital, dude. There's a giant lane in, in this media, you know, the this media landscape, this genre landscape for people who just kick the fucking door in, put the hammer down and say, here's all of it. Here's all of it. You know, we've identified the problems. We've identified who's, you know, responsible in real time. Let's make these fucks a household name, you know, huge lane for that. Uh, and so it's incumbent, I think, even if you don't agree with 100% of what everybody says all the time, it, it's incumbent on us to stand as a community of content creators to say, look, man, we're not going to, we're not going to give you this. We're not going to give you our, our, you know, one, our internet, two, this fucking whole, like, milieu that we've created, this whole fucking landscape, incredible, mind-blowing, real, genuine, truthful content. We're not going to give you that. We're yeah. not going to comply. Yeah. No. And it, it, you're reminding me of something I hear Sam Tripoli say often. It's like the internet got away with got away from them like they thought that they could just control the narrative forever you know and it's getting away from them because the more i learn about this technology that's available to us as podcasters the more i 
see the radio stations and the newspapers and the magazines and the television stations falling behind. You know, they're not going to be able to engage their audience as thoroughly as the content creators on YouTube, Rockfin and all these other places, you know, and I think, you know, obviously YouTube and Patreon have their problems and they're not exactly in our best interests with the content we create, but we need to use their platforms in one shape or another to reach our audience, right? So you give them a little tease on YouTube and say, hey, if you want the uncut real raw, come to Rockfin, right? So that's kind of the, the beauty of it, right? So you're on Rockfin now, right, Steve? Can people find your show yeah. on Rockfin? Yeah, yeah, it's rockfin.com slash slow newsday. I was lucky enough to get on there about a year ago. Okay. Ray tokens were like 32 cents on the dollar <laughs> when I got over to Rockfin. And, and we do it a little bit different on Slow News. I know that there are people with much, much larger YouTube follow counts than us. We've had up to 9,000 people unsubscribed from the channel at a time. I never have notifications that go out on it. We get the, the QAnon context warnings. When we debunk the QAnon narrative, Really? Yeah, now, they disappear is, after a couple of weeks. This but is right when I, your video... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, it's okay, because this is something I, I wanted to get into with, like, you know, I personally, I've had a couple people on the show uh, a couple months ago who were very invested in Q, and even a close friend of mine who was following the Q stuff on the boards, and myself, I tried to remain as agnostic as I could be without, you know, not being optimistic, because I'm always optimistic, like, yeah, sure, if it works out, great, like, drain the swamp, you know, but really, ultimately, my original suspicion, my initial suspicion was correct, that this was a PSYOP geared towards getting all of these people to basically unmask themselves as people who are smart enough to care about this kind of thing. I think that's really what the government wanted to do was identify, okay, well, we have this group of conservative people who hate the government. We have this group of liberal people who hate the government or, or democratic people who hate the government, right? So it, they are just putting us in camps and exposing our political and philosophical values in the internet space, right? And I think all it's done is weakened us and our privacy, right? So, and I know you were at the Capitol that day, right? So you you saw firsthand like the the what was it a movie set? People were saying it looked like there. You know, you kind of witnessed the false flag in action in real time. Yeah, and everybody that that is a, a content creator that isn't trying to put forward a, a team sport or partisan message that was there on the ground filming that day had the exact same take. Holy fuck, we're watching a false flag happen in real time. This is a fucking psyop in real time. This yeah. is insane. You know, and, and I mean, it was palpable. When I was on the plane the next day flying back here, the whole plane's loaded with Trump supporters. The flight attendants are scared shitless. They gave up. They, they fucking hid in the back and hid in the front and would not... Not until we were done. Nobody had a mask on and people openly vaping, fucking smoking weed and shit. Like they were scared shitless, bro. It was great. But the plane, like almost to a person, was like, fuck Trump, fuck the Republican Party, fuck Mitch McConnell, fuck Bill Barr, fuck, fuck, fuck. We were used as set dressing 
was what somebody told me and they knew it they had it they was fresh in their mind and i don't know if they carried it with them i don't know if it went anywhere but in the moment they had it figured out that they did and the way that i've always looked at the the QAnon thing this is something that that i do have a lot of consensus on with with a number of my friends and, and there's some some shit i can tell you about it too because of the anonymous bites back show that that i do but the yes of course i did absolutely 100% psyop it was the the other side of the coin to russia gate russia gate gave liberals brainworms and it gave like the progressive left to an extent the same brainworms because most of them ended up fucking voting for joe biden anyway and they were so they were activated in the sense that if the democratic party was sponsoring a protest fucking there you know in a minute for these astroturf as fuck limited hangout activism events and, and what QAnon did was it deactivated the portion of the right that otherwise would have been non-stop on for like a president clinton you know, Hillary Clinton never could have got away with the CARES Act. Hillary Clinton never could have got away with all these lockdowns. Hillary Clinton never could have got away with like a fucking tenth of the shit that Trump did in terms of like illegal military coups, both failed and successful in terms of fucking upward transfers of wealth, in terms of expansion of the national security state and elimination of more civil liberties in terms of lockdown. She never could have got away with that. Donald Trump had to happen in order to get us where we are. And QAnon was the other side of that coin that fucking where one side got super activated in a very limited and controlled sense. The other side became deactivated and told to trust the plan and fucking, you know, follow the white rabbit and let's wait for that other shoe to drop. And it's coming any day, any day, the, the fucking, the warrants are signed. The secret indictments are there. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it worked. It worked like a fucking charm because it, it, this is something I'm actually writing a fucking book about. Chomsky wrote Manufacturing Consent 32 years ago. 32 years ago, that book came out. And I have a, a lot of issues with Noam Chomsky, but that's a fantastic fucking book, you know? And in the ensuing 30 years, consent has been manufactured i i would venture that consent was manufactured by the time the ink was drying on the patriot act if not sooner and since then the last almost 22 years now we've been living in the primary function of the media went from manufacturing consent to manufacturing confusion and this is now the primary function of the media to manufacture confusion, put forth counter-reinforcing propaganda from every single angle that eventually all drives people back into supporting one half of the state. And as long as you can support one half of the state, you can be manipulated into voting inside of that system. And that's where we are with this right now. When people are confused, they become scared. When people become scared, they become so much easier to manipulate. And narrative management in the age of a siloed, filtered internet, which is what we're in right now, and becomes so much easier that way. Because when you can channel your narratives, 
you can keep people from talking to each other because when they see someone with a different ideology, all they do is internet yell at them. That's what like real life conversations are now is people fucking like clapping back like they would on fucking, you know? Yeah, it's, it's like, oh. here's this meme. Here's this meme. Yeah, they're talking with memes. And, and, and I think it also plays into like the shorter attention spans that are incentivized through the entertainment industry and music. And I mean, think about how much long form music is not around anymore. Like all these albums, they're all three minute, two minute long songs back in the day, Led Zeppelin, they would make like a seven, eight minute long song, you know, like now all the songs are three minutes long, you know, like that's just one small microcosm look at it. But yeah, I think, they're absolutely incentivizing this Hegelian dialect of one versus the other problem, reaction, solution. And the solution was, you know, crafted way ahead of time, you know, and, and it's so strange as conspiracy theorists in this conspiracy realm, there's like this insurgence of conservatism over the past couple of years after this period of Obama. And obviously me, I've always been you know, anti-government in some sense, ever since I wised up to 9-11 and the Gulf of War and all that during Bush's presidency when I was in high school, right? So originally I was anti-conservative. So then I was like, oh, Obama, hope and change. And they sold me on that because I was just in high school. I didn't yeah. realize Then yeah. it took a, a couple of years and I'm like, oh shit, Obama lied to me just as much as Bush lied to me. And then again, a third time, you know, they get us with this Bernie thing. I was all thinking thinking Bernie was great, you know, uh, feel the burn. I went to this huge rally. It felt great. It was all a manipulation. You know, they, they shafted him for Hillary and then Trump came in and I wasn't upset with Trump after I started seeing like the, the populist type stuff and, and, oh, this is good for the people. You know, obviously now I have other thoughts on it. Like, oh, was that all part of this psyop was, you know, so it's just been a real roller coaster of a ride for us who have been in this realm of thought. And I think what's important, the biggest takeaway I've had is not to take a side because as soon as you take a side, you get pushed one way, pushed the other, and you're just moving with the current that they're deciding, you know, so, yeah, man, I mean, maybe we can go right back to basics. What was the first conspiracy you experienced? Like, what was the first one that really opened your eyes? Maybe when you're a kid, when you're a teenager. I'm sure so, it wasn't when you're a late adult. You seem like you've been woke for a while. And we're, we're uh, reclaiming I, that word, by the way. It doesn't we're oh, oh, we're taking it back? We're taking it back. We're taking it back! <laughs> the My Family Thinks I'm Woke podcast is here. So I I told Sam this the other day. Like, I, I credit Clean LSD and Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell and, and real punk rock and, and like, real hip-hop like in an early age when you say real hip-hop i love that because we've done some episodes actually the intro song for my podcast was created by a, a rapper who's into conspiracies but real Which quick one? i'll give you my my top five well destiny lab was the guy who uh, he was just on tinfall hat as a guest actually but my top five army of the pharaohs which you know jedi mind tricks fits into there and then we have uh dead prez poor righteous teachers and then 
maybe like idea and abilities. Those would be my top five, like real hip hop artists that I've followed and kind of woke me up to this too. But go ahead. Don't let me talk. Who, who are you? Some, some of your favorite artists? Oh man. So I like, because he's a friend now, but I've been listening to him for 20 years. R.A. the Rugged Man. But Absolutely. Like, yeah. He's... Riley in the coup. I, I love Tribe Called Quest, dude. I'm always going to love Tribe. Like that's my yep. jam for when I was a fucking kid, you know, but like J. Rue the Damager, I would put way up there. Yeah. Yeah. He's great. And then outside of that, like te immortal tech, of course. I'm putting it down. Dude, Idea was the shit, man. Like, Idea was just insane. He, the, yes. The, his ability to just pull from the fucking ether and, yeah. and bring it together almost flawlessly is just incredible, like, incredibly, I don't know, gifted, man. And for those who um, don't know, that's spelled e-y-e-d-e-a idea and abilities i'm sure steve knows but like that's one of those deep cut rappers that i go, rarely uh, meet someone who knows after about. you're done listening to this go and i i hate promoting youtube but go on youtube and, and look up the orphanage freestyle okay and, and check out that that it's a sage francis yes idea slug maybe brother ollie yeah well that whole midwest crew uh -huh. what's their what's their rhyme sayers yeah rhyme sayers that's a yeah yeah collective. no that that crew saw like i fuck dude i i love me some some brother ollie you've group. you've podcasted with ra he's been on tinfoil hat he's also done a song with uh vinnie paz who's a big like that would be a dream guest for me to book on tinfoil hat would be vinnie paz i mean I don't know where he's at. I don't know if he's still making music. I, I haven't seen. I think they're coming out with a new Jedi mind trick soon. But Fuck yeah, yeah. Like, but not to let's not go down that rabbit hole too far. So clean LSD, real punk rock, real hip hop. I'm I'm yeah. down with that. And was there one other thing I, I missed there? You said uh, uh, coast, coast to coast, coast yeah. AM with Art Bell. Yeah. yeah. So that that was what kind of did it. Like got me like looking into like UFOs. Mm. I guess that might have been like the thing that really got me going. But what happened at that time, too, when I was like 11, 12 years old, I started, you know, listening to listening to Art Bell already had a bunch of like bunch of the the kids I grew up with were not significantly, but sort of older than me four or five years. And I had been, you know, I'd been exposed to like good ass music and shit and, and uh little bit of the cannabis and a little bit of the LSD. And, and I got a copy of Bill Hicks, Sane Man. And, and then right after that, Revelations. And Bill Hicks does the JFK bit. Right. And also at this time, I'm learning about, and I go to my first protest, which is a free Mumia Abu Jamal protest. Um, in Indianapolis, Indiana, it was like eh, 11 or 12, something like that. And I learned about the move bombing and I learned about COINTELPRO and I learned like, like all at once, you know, like, I mean, it really was like in the span of like maybe a year or 16 months, like all of this shit is happening. And so once I found out that the FBI was a terrorist organization and that my own government had assassinated one of their own presidents and fuck you know, like 
it, it just kind of let the floodgates open. And I did like, and at that time too, man, behold, a pale horse came out, like came out, you know, that's when it dropped. Uh, uh, and fucking, I mean, sky's the limit at that point, you know, oh, there you go. There you go. When I was 16, my dad had me fucking working as a volunteer for a congressional candidate named David McIntosh that was a former student of my dad's when he taught history in in Kindleville, Indiana. And I learned firsthand about national politics at the federal level. And who the at that time the Christian Coalition and Newt Gingrich's contract for America, who those Republicans were, and I learned who the Democrats were. And I tell you, man, if you are a 16-year-old kid and you want good cocaine, go volunteer for a, a Republican con- congressional campaign. <laughs> They got the good blow. <laughs> that was um, the last thing I thought you would say. Wow. Dude, every Republican convention <laughs> I that I've covered, it. every fuck like that that candidate in particular was the only one I worked for. As a, you wow. know, and again, this is before I'm old enough to vote. This yeah. is the military industrial complex. I mean, it goes hand in hand with the drug trafficking. I mean, we've had Chris Milligan on the show who published Anthony Sutton's work under the Trine Day Publishing and. Yeah, that was huge for me. Like we talked about on our phone call, I I live in Connecticut, not too far from Yale University. So I know their history all too well. You know, they they were essentially, you know, trafficking heroin and all these drugs way before World War One. And then it just got rolled right into all of these federal programs that are now the CIA and whatnot. And that's some of the things that Julian exposed with uh, WikiLeaks. But yeah, man, I mean, that's not surprising that you would find that on the local level there. I just maybe I don't have enough gumption to go out and get involved with my local politics. I never oh, no, I, I, this was. I mean, this guy was running for for national Congress. This was a you know major congressional election. It just had like he was in the district that he was running for the district to represent the district I live in in Congress in D.C. Oddly enough, when he retired or when he got out of left that seat, the guy who took it was Mike Pence because that's the district in Indiana where Mike Pence lived. I was already gone when Mike Pence got in Congress. It's not my fault. Don't come at me. Mike Pence used to be a, a talk radio host. Did you know that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I heard that. And it's kind of surprising considering how unconversational he sounds. But His yeah. tagline was that he was Limbaugh on decaf. <laughs> that was his tagline. Like, he did that on purpose. That he was sold his, that. His gimmick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no yeah. Gimmick. <laughs> I'm boring. <laughs> Listen to my radio show. <laughs> yeah. I will talk the exact same cuckoo right-wing nonsense as Rush Limbaugh. I'll just be a lot less entertaining about it. <laughs> yeah. Very compelling. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, like I told you, I was in Indiana, so I definitely have that visualization going in my mind when you say you were downtown at that protest free Mumia. You know, when I was in downtown Indiana, I noticed there's this huge Scottish Freemason temple. And I just like wonder what your thoughts are on how that plays into local politics and even larger, you know, state and federal politics, like this secret society link, right? Like that's clearly, you know, the hand that uh, feeds type mentality. I mean, uh, 
I, so at the local level, depending on where you're at, there are, are a couple of major industries normally or a university or something like that, that, that ultimately determines what happens in the town where, where I am now, Santa Cruz County, it's real estate developers and tech firms, and you can elect anybody you want. In 2018, Santa Cruz elected a 28 year old black man with dreadlocks, who was also a PhD and had the the backing of like every you know progressive group and the dsa and he ran on fair housing and ending homelessness and you know all of the these things that were like yeah, decent and he got into office and the first thing he did was had a homeless camp bulldozed rent has only gone up like all this shit is because you're allowed to say what you need to say to get elected but once you're elected the machine absorbs you that's what it does and where the the secret societies come into play from what i can tell is essentially the same way that like mark zuckerberg is currently recolonizing africa so you'll get a couple of incredibly wealthy in zuckerberg's case not private but but nominally more private oligarch types who will then buy out these civil society organizations and buy into the the more secretive society organizations because if you've got enough money the masons will take you they will try to take you you know more to the point like some of the more powerful and more eugenics based <laughs> secret societies will, will come and take you. And then you get to speak at the World Economic Forum in Davos as the payoff. But, but wholesale purchase of key members and figures in, in civil society and more like half secret, like the Freemasons, Cesar Rosicurians, whatever, you know, that's how it happens. You know, that's, I mean, fundamentally, if you go to a board of supervisors meeting and you look for like, you know, a particular ring or the tie pin or lapel pin or whatever it is, you're, you're going to find members of these organizations sitting in key positions in government. And they're there to do what the public relations firms for oligarchs that people foolishly call Congress does everywhere and that's to carry their water and make it easier for them facilitating to act as a, a shield <laughs> so that we only get mad at the board of supervisors we only get mad at city council we only get mad at congress and we may pay some lip service to like money in politics or the goddamn donors or something like that but like that's as far as it goes very few people will come out and say Here's what happened at the World Economic Forum. This is what Klaus Schwab said. This is what fucking Mark Benioff said. This is, you know, that that doesn't happen as frequently. We hardly even touch on our homegrown American oligarchs. Like you can criticize Jeff Bezos, but is anybody organizing to shut down Amazon to shut down Twitch? If there was a Twitch streamer fucking boycott, man, you could like shake some shit up. But no, dude, earlier today, 
I fucking listened to a clip of a, a fairly like fairly well-known progressive independent media outlet on Rockfin trashing the fuck out of Rockfin because it's been it's become the home for conspiracy theorists and they're out there making money and that's dangerous and and they're on Rockfin and they go but you can follow us on Twitch and and I'm not kidding not kidding the premise or the the thumbnail and the title of the video is about how Jeff Bezos is a monster and Amazon is a union union busting organization and if you don't know why that's funny it's because Amazon owns Twitch <laughs> yeah yeah exactly i think that you know all of that needs to be sorted out i think podcasting is way ahead i don't think amazon and apple are really gonna get at podcasting in a way that would make them any money anytime soon so we do have that advantage but yeah more power to rockfin i hope they figure out a way to keep strong even though there are always the case of infiltrators you know but i think you know they're probably looking at it like oh we need to let everybody have an opinion here but it's just like yeah it's i mean just they're, a shame they're to pretty see selective it. about about how they they go about it but I, they've also looked at you know if somebody's got a large youtube following they're probably more likely to get put on the network unless there's already a couple creators that are on rockfin that are going to bat for you like I, i've been able to get some people on rockfin nico house i don't know if you know or not as the mcse network that my show just became uh, a part of the extended network universe and he's been on rockfin since like day one dude and i have seen him so many times like just reach down to shows that should have a much higher follow count but don't because of the way that the censorship algorithms work and he'll just like yank them out of nowhere and throw them on rockfin where the, like in some cases there are now content creators who have a higher rockfin follow count than they do on youtube because they can't get seen on YouTube, the largest streaming video platform in the world and the second largest search engine in the world. Yeah. Because yeah. of the way that the censorship algorithms work. Yeah, the algorithm is ridiculous. What's cool, I was just having a conversation with a guy named Matthew Raymer from Content Safe, and he has some things in the works to, I believe, create something called a meta, meta crawler that would be uh, a way around that kind of. And I think Adam Curry and the 2.0 podcasting 2.0 guys are definitely working on some things around that. But I, I think the future is bright. How about you? I mean, we're coming to the close of our our episode here. What do you think some solutions are moving forward? Like, obviously, you're one to hit the streets and protest. I commend you for that. I think that's important. But what can our listeners do? Like, is there some events they can hop into or is there some advice you have to leave our audience with before we go here, Steve? I believe that we're in a, a period of acceleration where the, the predator class has been united in a way that they haven't been before. And this is their big push for all of it, all of it. All of it. If you listen to their own words, you will own nothing and you will like it. Everything you use will be delivered by you'll eat bugs. 
you know that you won't eat meat anymore that this is the future that is being prepared for us whitney webb calls it a technic technocratic panopticon and that's a fantastic way to describe it but i mean there there's no denying the that we're entering the era of ai there's no denying the the push and establishment of smart cities you know the the over in davo at the the world economic forum they're saying the vaccine will be the foundation of the fourth industrial revolution fourth industrial revolution is the total commodification of nature you as a human being are part of nature so that means the total commodification of you individuals are no longer individuals they are data points that whose behavior is predicted and and in many cases determined by artificial intelligence so at that point no matter what you believe we're living in a simulation. So my my advice would be opt the fuck out and go away from major metropolitan areas and talk to people who share your concerns about the future and think about grabbing a chunk of land and building out a community and make for goddamn sure that you have established mutual aid networks and that you've got some way to get a hold of people you can make a fucking ham radio you can they're trying to take down all of the existing antennas but you can build them and, and man there i i i do have a lot of hope for that because I have seen people come together over the last few years like I have only imagined and hoped for and wanted for like 25. Uh, and, and it's happening right now. You know, all, all over the world it's happening. So I'm incredibly encouraged by that. And I would also say don't forget how to do shit. Go get some cast iron and make sure you can still cook. You know, learn, learn how to build things, learn how to repair basic machinery. Don't forget longstanding traditional skills because we're going to need them. Wow. Steve, dude, this has been great. I definitely want to invite you back on our show again yeah. in the near future. Jay, I don't know where he's been all episode. Jay, are you even there right now? Speak up, Jay. What's going on? Are you just a, a stand in right now? Oh my gosh, Steve! Just a graphic. <laughs> Just a graphic. I'm gonna, I'm gonna kick him from this meeting. What the hell is he even doing here? So, anyways, so anyways, Steve, it's been great, man. What a good time. I, I love what you said there because I'm a wholeheartedly 100% with you there. Last summer, I was working on a, a dairy farm, a small dairy farm, and yeah, I got a couple friends who are in that line of business. I think that's such a important thing to go out and learn how to actually procure food and grow food and you know raise animals and 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 do those homesteading things that are are essential to living off the grid because obviously the grid is is trying to trying to take our freedoms away from us so steve tell listeners where they can find you before we close this one out. You got the slow news day and you got anonymous bites back, right? Where can they find those, those podcasts or shows? So uh, slownewsdayshow.com. That I, I always encourage people to go to the website first. I, I think that's if, if people get into that habit more, when we all get the platform places, it won't be uh, as big of a hit 
because people will be used to checking the website first outside of that rockfin rockfin.com slash slow newsday that's where all of the the shows are and with both anonymous bites back and the free assange vigil those are always 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 going to be free on no matter what platform no matter where never will that be paywalled and we don't paywall too much stuff uh, on rockfin anyway we got a pretty good audience we have the best fucking audience in the world we really do so so that yeah that would that would be it i'm on twitter at slow newsday show it sucks i hate it but yeah slownewsdayshow.com rockfin.com slash slow newsday and thank you mark this has been fantastic i really enjoyed this and i'm gonna have to get you on the show here soon too cool man yeah it's been a pleasure dude thanks for listening to the my family thinks i'm crazy podcast mark is bananas crazy. okay this guy's losing his mind I'm don't listen crazy to him. for feeling so lonely Follow us on Patreon.com slash MFTIC. That's Patreon.com slash MFTIC. Oh.